The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. Welcome to this Between the Seasons episode of the Anchored City Podcast. A new season is coming in October. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. Most Alaskans are familiar with Seattle. It seems that when Alaskans travel outside of the state, they're always flying through that city. I recently flew to Seattle, but this trip was a little different than normal. In an effort to save some money, I booked a ticket on one of the routes Alaska Airlines flies, known as a milk run. My route took me from Anchorage to Cordova, Cordova to Yakutat, Yakutat to Juneau, and then Juneau to Seattle. It was a long, slow, and interesting way to fly to Seattle. But the connection between Seattle and Alaska has always included long, slow, interesting journeys. The reason I was in Seattle was to teach for the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. The school's current building is located at the corner of Elliott Avenue and Wall Street, just one block up from the waterfront street named Alaskan Way. Alaskan Way follows the shoreline along what is Seattle's historic waterfront. One pier in particular, now known as Pier 58, had a huge impact on Alaska. On July 17, 1897, the steamship Portland arrived at Schwabacher's Wharf, as the area that is now Pier 58 was known back then. The Portland arrived from Alaska with a, quote, ton of gold on board that had come out of the Klondike in Alaska's Yukon Territory. That day, the Seattle Post-Intelligencer printed the headline, Gold, 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 68 Rich Men on the Steamer Portland, Stacks of Yellow Metal. Some have 5,000, many have more, and a few bring out 100,000 each. The steamer carries $700,000. Special tug chartered by the Post-Intelligencer to get the news. Anchorage historian David Reamer, writing in the Anchorage Daily News, explains, The Seattle Post-Intelligencer ran an extra edition that day with the details. The newspaper declared, This morning the steamship Portland, from St. Michael's for Seattle, passed up sound with more than a ton of gold on board. Of the 68 passengers, Hardly a man has less than 7,000, and one or two more have 100,000 in gold nuggets. While the fevered coverage did its part to sell newspapers, the post-intelligencer undersold the cargo. Once weighed, there were two tons of the precious metal. Still, the Portland was thereafter known as the ton of gold ship. 
And the quicksilver genius of that simple phrase helped sell a nation on the idea that gold fever might indeed be a rational, practical path to fortune. Today in the area of Schwabacher's Wharf is Waterfront Park, which sits between Seattle's Aquarium and Pier 57, which is named, with a nod to the Gold Rush history, as Prospector's Landing. The Waterfront Park area is undergoing a huge renovation. I suspect in the future there will be interpretive signs commemorating the start of the Gold Rush, but on the day I was there, the only reference I found was just inside the entrance of Prospector's Landing, where there was a small reference to the steamship Portland and its famous cargo. The Waterfront Park area is not the only place in Seattle that has a reminder of the Klondike Gold Rush. At the corner of 2nd Avenue South and South Jackson Street is the Klondike Gold Rush National Historic Park. The National Park Service Museum is housed in the historic Cadillac Hotel. A sign outside reads, Klondike Gold Rush, 1897 to 1898. Adventure and hardship, dreams made, hopes shattered, lives changed, and a city transformed. Explore the adventure. Once inside the museum, the story of the gold rush unfolds. The story, as it relates to Seattle, goes something like this. Following the news of the Portland, and the almost unfathomable amount of gold it brought as cargo, worth around $2 billion in today's money, people flocked to the Klondike to seek their fortune. The most common route to the gold fields started in Seattle thanks in part to savvy city leaders who advertise Seattle as the gateway to the Klondike. According to one interpretive sign in the museum, as a result, a slumbering Seattle awoke, becoming a bustling economic center. The result of the rush to the Yukon was enormous wealth streaming into Seattle. In a very real way, Seattle becomes Seattle because of the gold rush. However, the Klondike gold rush did not make Anchorage. In fact, the city did not even exist at all in 1897 and 1898. In those years, the closest thing was a much smaller gold rush in the towns of Hope and Sunrise, across Turnigan Arm from where Anchorage sits today. For more about the Hope Gold Rush, listen to Season 2, Episode 12, Hope City, and Season 2, Episode 13, Thanksgiving Leftovers of this podcast. With the McKay Tower in use since 2007 as the McKinley Tower Apartments and the abandoned Northern Lights Hotel demolished in 2017, the building that sits at the southeast corner of 6th Avenue and D Street in downtown Anchorage might be the most famous empty building in the city. On September 4, 1968, the Anchorage Times ran an article with the headline, New NC Store to be Erected at 6th and D. The article went on to say that an Idaho developer was planning a new building on the site of what was the J.C. Penney parking lot and the Hughes Building, which housed the State of Alaska Division of Land Offices. The article mentioned that the parking lot was owned jointly by the City of Anchorage and J.C. Penney, and both the City and Penney's were likely to lease the lot to the developer for 55 years with provisions to renew. On July 29, 1970, the Northern Commercial Company opened its new department store at 6th and D. 
The building boasted 102,000 square feet and was a huge hit with the residents of Anchorage who streamed through the doors on opening day. In February of 1975, the Northern Commercial Company sold its department store division to Nordstrom's of Seattle, Washington, including the downtown Anchorage location. Nordstrom had already been running NC's shoe departments. It's with this sale that we return to the Gold Rush story. During the Klondike Gold Rush, the newspapers in Seattle were filled with ads hawking supplies for the gold fields. According to the Gold Rush Museum in Seattle, some prospectors spent as much as $1,000 on supplies and transportation. That's approximately $25,000 in today's money. Part of the cost was a requirement placed on gold seekers by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police that said each person must have enough supplies to last a year. The list included food, clothing, shelter, and tools that could weigh as much as 2,000 pounds. The result for Seattle, due in part to selling supplies, was that by 1900, the amount of money changing hands on a daily basis in the city had quadrupled. An estimated 70% of the 100,000 Klondike-bound miners passed through Seattle. One of those gold seekers that passed through Seattle was a young man named John Nordstrom. Nordstrom had arrived in the United States in 1887 as an immigrant from Sweden. He arrived in New York not speaking a word of English with $5 in his pocket. He traveled across the country and worked in mines and logging camps in California and Washington. In 1897, he left for the Klondike, and when he returned, he had $13,000 and the desire to stop roaming. With some of his gold mining proceeds, he bought 10 acres of land in the Rainier Valley. He also bought two lots in downtown Seattle and built two homes, one to live in and one to rent. He enrolled in business college, and he got married. In 1901, he went into business with Carl Wallen and opened Wallen and Nordstrom Shoes at the corner of 4th and Pike. In 1923, they opened a second location in Seattle's University District. And from those beginnings, the Nordstrom's department store chain grew. Today, the chain boasts more than 350 stores, as well as a chain of stores under the name Nordstrom Rack. A Nordstrom store sits just one block away from that first shoe store at 5th and Pine, in downtown Seattle. Meanwhile, back in Anchorage, after 44 years serving as the city's high-end department store, Nordstrom's closed its doors at 6th Avenue and D Street in the fall of 2019. Two months after the closure, the Anchorage Daily News reported that the Nordstrom building in downtown Anchorage will remain vacant for the foreseeable future. In the article, it was disclosed that Nordstrom's who owns the estimated $6.5 million building, had no plans to break its land lease, which expires in 2024. The article noted that while Nordstrom owns the building, the ground underneath is made up of five parcels. Three are owned by J.C. Penney Company, one is owned by the municipality of Anchorage, and the other is owned by Harry Dom Trust, a shopping mall developer out of Idaho that constructed the building. Adding, when the ground leases up, Nordstrom, by default, loses ownership of the building. In such a situation, a board is formed with representation from the ground owners, which then decides what to do with the building. As it stands, next year the land lease for Anchorage's most prominent empty building will be up after five years of sitting vacant. It seems 55 years goes quickly, especially when you don't exercise your extension options. But don't fret too much. You can still shop at a store that bears the name of a Klondike Stampeder 
that struck it rich if you go to Nordstrom Rack in the Midtown Mall. One of the last gold rushes in Alaska was to a place called Shoshana. According to the National Park Service, who's now responsible for the area, the scene of Alaska's last important gold rush in 1913, the Shoshana District played a key role in the history of interior Alaska. While few struck it rich, the resulting demand for materials and supplies helped establish regional transportation networks, encouraged supporting industries, and hastened the exploration and settlement of both the Copper and Tanana basins. The Shoshana district was particularly significant from 1913 to 1915, the period encompassing its discovery, stampede, and boom. Shoshana became known as the largest log cabin town in the world. A number of early Anchorage residents were part of the Shoshana Gold Rush, including Frank Hoffman, who originally came north for the Klondike Gold Rush before becoming the U.S. Marshal in Shoshana and Anchorage. Another early lawman, the city's first police chief, Jack Sturgis, and the last person to see him alive, John McNutt, were also in Shoshana. More on Sturgis and his story in Season 1, Episode 9, and Between the Seasons, Episode 21. You might be wondering if I'm ever going to answer the question posed by the title of this episode. What's the connection between Seattle and Anchorage? There has to be more than a loose connection between the gold rush bringing people to the state and Nordstrom's department stores, even if those do play a role in Anchorage's history. Well, you're right, there is. When the U.S. government decided that the Ship Creek area was the place it would headquarter the Alaska Railroad in late 1914 and 1915, in addition to the Denina Athabaskan residents of the Anchorage Bowl, there was Jack Brown, a forest ranger, and his wife Nellie, another forest ranger, Keith McCullough, and his wife, homesteaders Jim St. Clair and J.D. Bud Whitney, with his wife Daisy and their family, and a squatter named Thomas Jeter that had a cabin in the Government Hill area. That's not very many people at all. But by the spring and summer of 1915, a tent city of 2,000 people had sprung up along Ship Creek. How did those folks get there? That answer may come as no surprise. In the very first issue of the Cook Inlet Pioneer and Kinnick News on June 5, 1915, an ad ran for the Pacific Alaska Navigation Company, known as the Admiral Line. It advertised steamers sail from Seattle on the 5th, 15th, and 25th at 5 o'clock p.m. Steamers sail from Anchorage on or around the 3rd, 13th, and 23rd for Seattle, Tacoma, Seward, Prince William Sound Ports, and Juneau. In that era also, the Alaska Steamship Company was advertising sailings from Seattle to Ketchikan, Wrangell, Juneau, Skagway, Cordova, Valdez, Seward, and Anchorage. Many, even most of the early residents of Anchorage, departed for the city from the waterfront in Seattle. It's no wonder that the street that runs along those docks is called Alaskan Way. 
Those early ship journeys mirrored the milk run flights of Alaska Airlines today, stopping in towns along the Inside Passage before turning west into the Gulf of Alaska for ports of call in Prince William Sound, and finally arriving in the Cook Inlet area and ending in Anchorage. Today, the trip to Anchorage is not often done by boat, unless you're on a cruise ship. Most often, travel is done by air, and more often than not, that means flying through Seattle. Alaskans still experience Seattle as part of the journey to and from Alaska, just like those Klondike prospectors did. Anchorage residents often feel like Seattle is a home away from home, since our travel takes us through the Puget Sound area, just like it did those that went before us. So what's the connection between Seattle and Anchorage? It's travel. Seattle has been, and will continue to be, part of interesting journeys to and from Anchorage. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at anchorageutc.org.